6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. And we've been following throughout the day what has happened in Kabul, Afghanistan, where two suicide bombers and gunmen attacked crowds of Afghans desperately trying to get into Kabul's airport today and board one of the last evacuation flights out. We know that at least 60 Afghans were killed, 143 were wounded, 12 U.S. service members were killed as well. Now, the attacks are being blamed on the Islamic State, and there had been warnings, multiple warnings of an imminent attack. Now, the Canadian Armed Forces has posted a tweet confirming all CAF members still in Kabul are safe and accounted for and that they are taking all appropriate security measures. All of this happening as the U.S. and other Western countries race to complete a massive evacuation of their citizens and Afghan allies. Earlier today, the last Canadian military flight carrying Canadian citizens and Afghan refugees left Kabul. The acting chief of defense staff, General Wayne Eyre, says Canada helped evacuate 3,700 people from Kabul over the past week or two. Uh, But in a notice this morning from Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, the government said, quote, it recognizes there are a number of people in Afghanistan, including Canadian citizens, permanent residents, their families uh, that didn't make it on board. Then they were told to be mindful of their security. In a news conference earlier today, General Air called the situation heartbreaking. We stayed in Afghanistan for as long as we could. We were amongst the last to cease evacuation operations. We wish we could have stayed longer and rescued everyone who was so desperate to leave. That we could not is truly heartbreaking. But the circumstances on the ground rapidly deteriorated. Now this is... An extraordinary humanitarian crisis, but make no mistake, this is a crisis of the Taliban's making. That he is acting chief of defense staff, General Wayne Eyre from earlier today. Let's get to, into it more with Dr. Christian Luprecht. Uh, Dr. Luprecht is a professor in leadership at the Department of Political Science at the Royal Military College in Queen's University. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Jalen. First off, uh, Canada's decision to wrap up its um, its evacuation mission, uh, it's coming under heavy, heavy criticism. Is it deserved or not? Well, I think uh, we didn't get a whole lot of political leadership here, and I think this is what the military and the civil service needed. In a time of crisis, uh, you need the prime minister, the minister, and their staffers to be there because a lot of the decisions that you make have political repercussions. They require workarounds around regular uh, rules and regulations, so you need exemptions from the minister, and you need clear direction. Um, And so perhaps, you know, the Biden administration said, we will if you are an American in Afghanistan we will basically do everything in our power to get you out um, I might have missed it but I didn't hear similar words from our political executive in Canada I think they're just too busy on the campaign trail um, to be able to pride that direction and on top of that I get the feeling that um, given that it is election time um, the politicians were perhaps not willing to take the risks that might be involved with for instance saying that uh, we will ensure that every Canadian who wants to get out has the opportunity to get out because that could put Canadian soldiers at risk. And so I think we played it pretty safe. Yeah, and you know what, um, Dr. Luprecht, I think it's it's interesting that you, you put it that way as well, because if they were 
if the politicians were trying to play safe by making that decision, I think it's backfired, especially for the for the Trudeau Liberals. I think, and I think it's going to backfire big big time, uh, you know, for them over uh, the coming days because I think the I think Justin Trudeau is going to continue to be dogged by questions. I know today he was asked seriously. You know, he talks more about we will try to do more, but there's no details. And how can we do more when we don't have any more planes on the ground and when the Americans are leaving within days? I mean, there's just a whole lot of talk, it seems, and there's been no real action. And any action has been wrapped up in red tape. Yeah, I think, and that shows also that, look, we had lots of opportunity to, uh, so as early as late March, we know um, Tom Blackwell from the National Post reported um, on a briefing note that details sort of worst case events um, uh, of perhaps having to evacuate the embassy. So it was clear, at least as early as March, that there was a serious risk of having to uh, perhaps move rather quickly. So at that point, we could have established, for instance, lists of all the Canadians and anybody else that Canada was determined to evacuate. But it appears to me that there wasn't really much in terms of a list, nor a sense of locations, where people actually were, so that we were quite literally building the plane while flying it when the crisis broke, and all that during a writ period when there wasn't the opportunity to provide the sort of direction that the civil service needs in a time of crisis to make these critical decisions. So it appears that either there was an unwillingness to recognize uh, that the situation could get serious and sort of hoping for the best uh, in terms of the institution that we've built, uh, perhaps also deluding ourselves that the Afghan National Army was more than the Make Work Project that I've always said that it is, um, or perhaps um, politicians just simply didn't want to show that there might be a genuine risk associated that Afghanistan might fall apart. So if you start making lists and then that hits the media, then it suggests that perhaps the situation is worse than it looks. In any event, it doesn't look to me like we were particularly prepared. It also doesn't look to me like we were a good ally. Uh, uh, the Brits sent 1,000 soldiers. The French sent between three and 500. Uh, the Germans sent 160 soldiers. Uh, the Norwegians sent a field hospital. Uh, it appears to me that all we did was send over a few special ops in order to get Canadians out and basically write the coattails of the entire American uh, security and intelligence operation that they've been mounting. And so I'd like to know, did we actually, uh, when the Americans coordinated other countries and the assistance that they were willing to provide, did we put in um, our bid to what kind of help do you need and we'll provide it, or did the political authority decide there was too much risk if, we, for instance, the request comes, uh, we need infantry soldiers to guard the airfield, um, that uh, the government decided it didn't want to have uh, the risk of perhaps uh, soldiers who might be injured or dead during the operation, so that they decided to play it safe. So those, I think there's a lot of open questions here about uh, whether the government um, provided uh, the sort of support to our allies and partners in a time of need that it could and should. And Christian, I want to cycle back to something that that caught my ear as you were saying. You talked about the Afghan National Army and it, um, in your opinion, it being a make-work program. Can you expand on that? And uh, and I suspect your, your belief of that would lead to um, maybe some of the reasons why you believe that Afghanistan fell so quickly. 
Biden administration said as little as six weeks ago that there was no serious risk of the country falling into Taliban hands, that everything sort of was in order, that the Afghan institution would, institutions would prevail. Um, so I think the West has really fed itself this narrative, leading with the Americans that we've put in these billions of dollars, we've put in all this treasure and, of course, blood, uh, Canadian blood disproportionately um, relative to the size of our deployment uh, uh, there, and that uh, these institutions were going to hold, that all this investment was going to be worth something and pay dividends. Um, and I think this was the political narrative that not just Canada, but sort of Western countries has decided they were going to sell their electorates, that we have something to show for here. You can trust us. This was actually good investment. And so I think uh, people just drank the Kool-Aid. They believed sort of their own stories, and they didn't believe their intelligence services when they told them uh, their country is in serious trouble. And look, the Taliban have been gaining steadily territory since 2017. It's not like the Taliban came out of nowhere and we were all of a sudden surprised. Oh, there's Taliban here. Who are these people with guns? I mean, we've been contending with them for the last four years, so we knew that the uh, trajectory was not in our favor. Uh, a couple more questions before I have to let you go this afternoon. What we saw today, the suicide bombers, the gunmen uh, believed to be Islamic State. Um, can you get into the relationship between the Islamic State and the Taliban? Because I think uh, a number of people, I think a lot of people are confused about their relationship and about, um, you know, how we, the Islamic State came out of the, or the Taliban came out of the Islamic State, the Islamic State came out of the Taliban. Can you Can you expand on that for us? So what's known as Islamic State K for Khorasan, um, so this is the um, local uh, version of the Islamic State. Uh, these are very hardcore ideologues um, that are definitely willing to go all the way. They have no patience for the West. Uh, they make the Taliban look like moderates. These are very dangerous people. You might recall that the Americans used the mother of all bombs against them a couple of years ago. This made sort of some news, but the Islamic state group has had a significant foothold in Afghanistan for some time. And of course, one of the risks uh, is that we've now turned Afghanistan into terrorist international, not only with the Taliban in charge, uh, but whether the Taliban want it or not, that the Islamic State group is going to carve out a safe harbor for itself, and it may well use that safe harbor to attack targets or coordinate attacks on targets in the West, in which case, of course, the whole point of this mission of going to Afghanistan in the first place was to try to make sure that Afghanistan would not become a safe harbor for terrorist groups looking to target the West. So I'm not particularly optimistic uh, about developments when it comes to, to uh, terrorist organizations. We also, uh, I mean, usually when you pull out of a country, you pull out your citizens first, then you pull out your military kit, then you pull out your soldiers. The Biden administration did it the other way around. They pulled out the soldiers and they left the citizens behind and they left an entire arsenal of weaponry behind. If you look at some of the footage, Taliban fighters running around with night vision goggles, uh, we left uh, BMPs, we, uh, we left Humvees behind. So there's an entire array of equipment that both IS and the Taliban can now leverage and that you can bet Russian and Chinese intelligence are already on the ground taking apart and reverse engineering. So I can't possibly think of how we could have done this entire operation any worse than it has transpired. We'll leave it there this afternoon. Uh, Christian Luprak joining me this afternoon. Appreciate your time. Thank you for this. It's been my pleasure. Thank Take you. Care. Dr. Christian Luprecht, a professor in, Le professor in leadership department of political science at the Royal Military College and at Queen's University.